Hi there, my name is Mikhail Thorpe, and you're listening to Culture Matters. Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who will tell you his or her story and share international experiences, making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. My name is Chris Smith, and you're listening to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 115. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, this is the perfect moment to do so. Go to iTunes and click on subscribe. But while you're at it, you might as well give me a five-star rating if you would be so nice. Okay, our guest for today, for this episode, is Mikkel Thorup. Mikkel, the host of the Expat Money Show, has spent nearly 20 years in continual travel around the world, visiting more than 100 countries, including Colombia, North Korea, Zimbabwe and Iran. His goal now is to help expats generate additional streams of income, eliminate their tax bill and take advantage of offshore structures so they can travel the world freely and never have to worry about money again. Now, we're not talking too much about the technical aspects um, of money, but much more from a cultural perspective and from a philosophical perspective. Let's get right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at Culture Matters. Hey, good morning, Miguel. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. Uh, it's my pleasure. Well, thank you for um, for being on the show. It's a, it's a subject which I think... In the long living history of the Culture Matters podcast, by the way, we're on episode one 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 five hundred and fifteen. Uh, we've never talked about specifically about money, and we're going to talk about money and other things as well. But first of all, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, where do you come from originally? Where are you now? And what would you consider being your so-called cultural frame of reference? Oh, very good question. So. I'm originally from Canada. I have uh, Danish heritage, but uh, born and raised in Canada. But I've been living overseas as an expat for roughly 20 years now. And it's so funny because, you know, I'm about to celebrate my 36th birthday, but I've actually spent more of my life overseas as an expat than I have in my hometown back home. So it's um, a very different culture, you could say, being an expat. Um, You know, my wife is from China. You know, our baby was born here in the Middle East. I live in the Middle East for the last seven and a half years now. And and culture, culture-wise, things are different when you live overseas and you are dealing with people who maybe don't speak the same language as you as a first language. So obviously, I'm a native English speaker. My wife is a native Mandarin speaker. Oh, um, let's let's track back, backtrack a little bit. You're from Canada. Which part of Canada is that? So I'm from southwestern Ontario, born and raised, um, just outside of Toronto. Just is that London? Is that like a place called London or something? If I'm, if my geography that is exactly where it is. is where it really? are you? Did you research on me? No, not at all. <laughs> no, no. This goes back a long time. I had some plans of actually moving to Canada. It never, had never materialized. And always, I always, always looked at that that, that tip, that southern tip of Ontario. 
um, as a, a place to start. And I remember that was placed, place was called London. And of course, I mean, London is close to where I am being in Brussels. So that's that's why I guess it stuck. No, I did not. I did not do that kind of research on you, um, Michael. <laughs> well, Canada is a very big place, and for someone to guess the city right off the bat, it's uh, I'm yeah. I'm well impressed. Okay, it's just a small city, about four hundred thousand people. Not much goes on there, but uh, yeah, I left in my teens, and and now uh, I've been traveling since. Good, good, good. And what is your what is your Danish background? To you mentioned that as well. Yeah, so my parents are born in Canada. My grandparents are born in Canada, but my great great grandparents are born in Copenhagen. So actually, I've been given my great grandfather's name, and I believe in Denmark they pronounce it Mikkeltorp, but we've just kind of Canadianized yeah. it, and it's became Mikkel. Yeah, okay, Mikkel, and then Thorup, something like that. All right, um, and what is that? What exactly? What 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 do you do? I mean, what keeps you busy there? And which part of uh, you're in the Middle East? Which part of the Middle East are you, by the way? Yeah, so I've been living in Abu Dhabi since 2011, uh -huh. and basically I run my own podcast as well, and um, I help expats to structure their finances in a tax-efficient manner. Mm -hmm. So we use things like the offshore markets and offshore banking to make sure that you're not overpaying in taxes and that you have a lot more protection and control over your assets than if you were just to hold things in your own name, for example. Okay. All right, Abu Dhabi, the uh, the the second biggest city in the United Arab Emirates. It's like like a quiet Dubai in a way, don't you think? Well, it's, I would see them as quite different because okay. So first of all, Abu Dhabi is the capital of the United uh -huh. Arab Emirates, yes. the UAE. So they try to think of it as the like cultural capital, and Dubai is kind of like the fun place. It's more like the Las Vegas, <laughs> but Dubai is about. I would say one hour from my house. So it's quite close. Uh -huh. And, you know, we, we'll go there for dinner. Sometimes we'll go there for a coffee and we've got lots of friends. It's not a big, big uh, commute by any means. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, that's, um, that's good. Um, I just wanted to go back because I, in the introduction, uh, the audience could have heard that you have visited more than 100 countries, including, and there's a list here, Colombia, North Korea, Zimbabwe, and, and Iran. Tell us mm -hmm. a little bit, not about all these countries, but I'm particularly interested in um, North Korea and Zimbabwe. How yeah, is, absolutely. Well, so Zimbabwe is a very interesting place, especially if you look economically. You know, um, I'm quite into economics and specifically Austrian School of Economics. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what's happened there with the debasing of the currency, it's just wild. But I went there as a tourist. I didn't go there in a professional aspect. Mm -hmm. So I went there for whitewater rafting. And we actually got a vehicle and we drove up from South Africa through Botswana and into Zimbabwe. Uh -huh. And we were in southern southern Africa for probably about three, say about three weeks. Mm -hmm. But I'm in love with Africa. You know, I've also mm -hmm. been to Uganda and to Nigeria multiple times, uh, Kenya, a whole bunch of other places. But I just love the natural beauty there. And the people are just so warm and friendly and big, big smile. And um, it's it's very different, the people, than the government, which I, I'd say is yeah. generally true for most countries in the world. So it's interesting sometimes when I tell people like how of great of a trip that I had. And then they'll bring up something that um, some despot does or a, a dictator or a president or prime minister. Sure. And I'm like, okay, but let's try to make a separation between, you know, policy and how the actual people be, uh, behave. Uh -huh. And uh, I think that's an important thing to keep in, in context. True. Okay. Yeah. I've never been to South Africa many times, but indeed it's, it's as soon as you touch down uh, in Africa and it doesn't make much of a difference which part in Africa, but as soon as you touch down and you smell the air, it's this, it's a very distinct smell. I think if you smelled it once, 
and you're being blindfolded and put in another place in Africa, you can actually tell I'm in Africa right now. I'm not an Asian, mm-hmm. it's different. Everything so, in Africa is different. But yeah. um, like I said, I have an absolute love affair with Africa. I just think it's the most beautiful continent. The natural beauty is amazing there. And it just has so much potential if they can get some political things correct. True, 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 true. How about North Korea? What, what brought you there? Well, North Korea is North Korea is a very, very different story. You know, we've got, what, 193, 194 countries in the world, and there is no country on Earth that is like North Korea. Uh-huh. When you go there, it really is like stepping in a time machine and going back to, say, 1960s or so. All the clothes, the hair, the buildings, all the culture there, it is so very, very different. So I wanted to just see it with my own mm-hmm. eyes, you know? So we... Uh, I was on a small group. The only way you can go in is with yeah. a with a registered guide. Yeah. So we had a couple of uh, North Korean guides who had actually studied abroad. So their English was really fantastic. Uh-huh. And we flew in from Beijing. And we were there for, yeah, just under two weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, we were there for National Day. So there was a lot of celebrations going on. And they do these, they're called a mass dance. So they'll get, I don't know, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 people in a giant square and they're like these big circle dances and everybody knows their part and everyone's dressed up and it's a big celebration and there's lots of food and everyone's really happy. And it's, it's really interesting, you know, and you have an opportunity Mm -hmm. to actually speak to normal people because, you know, they, they, they always say with North Korea, they're, they're watching everything you do and they're, they're, they're recording you. And I didn't have this experience and, and maybe they're really good at their job at watching you. But, but in an instance like this, they just said, okay, you know, go have fun, meet us back here in like four hours or three hours. Just don't go past, you know, two blocks up this way or two blocks up that way. Just kind of stay in this area, do whatever you want. Hmm. So we were quite fortunate. We actually had a Brazilian guy with us who had lived in Seoul for 11 or 12 years. So he spoke fluent Korean. So we went around with him and we were chit-chatting with people and eating food and having picnic. And, you know, it was... A really, really interesting time. Now, people see these giant pictures and paintings on the wall about, you know, the great leader and things like this. And they yeah. freak out and they're like, this is so weird. I'm like, I live in the Middle East. We have this everywhere. Like, this is oh, yeah. normal. Yeah. Like, I, I see this every day. It's not yeah. that I think it's right or I think it's just or anything it, it like that. It is what it is. Yeah. But it is what it is. And, exactly. you know, when you go to another country... Just observe and and learn and and try to understand. You know, I'm Canadian. It's a Commonwealth country. If you walk into a government building, you're going to have a picture of the Queen there. It's really not that different. It really isn't. Um, But people lose their mind over it. So I I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, North Korea was a wonderful experience. I'm really glad that I had a chance to go. And uh, I would definitely make another trip there if I could. Is that, is that a country? Just last one last question about North Korea. Is that a country that, that you were? You said you were there like for two weeks. Is that is that, is it what, from one awe to the other, like awe, awe, awe? Or you know do what? You, do you get used to it? I mean, to to some level, do you get used to it? I would say I got used to it, but we were doing really normal things. You know, like we were going bowling and we went to the circus. We rode the subway and we were drinking and and having right. fun, like. You know, yes, we went to the war museum and that was bizarre. Like the way that they view things is so completely different, which makes sense. You know, Um, it is a little bit shocking in that regard. 
But in a lot of times, you know, it's just normal people having a normal life. And, you know, you can focus on anything you want. You can focus on how weird it is, how it is going back in time, or you can focus on, you know, having conversations and making meaningful connections with sure. with human beings who like and and live for the exact same things we do, you know. Yeah. They want to protect their family. They want to get ahead. They want a roof over their head and a warm meal in their stomach. And they want to be loved. Like it's fundamentally we're the same. You yeah. know, it's it is a, a weird regime and, and I really don't have a better word for it. Like I I personally am against communism, socialism. I think socialism is the greatest evil that we have on the planet. And mm-hmm. And I'm a true blue capitalist with free markets, but I still want to go and and understand why things like this take place. And and you know, I visited Cuba while Castro was in power, and I've been to other um, communist countries and and despot countries. Um, and I always take away something, uh, you know, which helps me understand mm-hmm. the world in a greater capacity. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. I have the same experience. I mean, it's I compare travel to that extent, typically not to, to those, if you want, I'm making air quotes here, exclusive countries. As uh, compare that to to a meal, a meal can be very enjoyable, but you know, the next day it's gone and you're hungry again. And an experience like this, for me at least, that, that stays with you for the rest of your life. And I think it just makes you a richer person if you're if you're able to go there and and. Uh, and well, be limit your judgment at least, you know, and, and accept the things that the way they are. Um, when I talk about culture, some people, you know, when I give workshops, etc., people are wondering, like, yeah, but that they should do that differently. And then I say, well, if they they're doing it the, to the best to the best they knowledge that they can do, because otherwise they would have done it differently. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's like, yeah, well, okay, well, I mean, yeah, that actually makes sense. People are doing whatever they're doing with the best intentions and to the best of their ability. Anyway, um, you mentioned, uh, sorry, <laughs> carried away here. Uh, you mentioned um, uh, about being a capitalist, et cetera, et cetera. That's a nice segue to uh, to the work that you actually do. Can I also ask you, do you have a, like a formal education in terms of um, of advising people about money or how do you go about this? So I have the exact opposite of a formal education. I actually dropped out of school at a very young age. Uh-huh. So I started failing out at 12. And by 15, I was out the door. I never went back to school. Okay. So I'm a complete autodidact. I started traveling in my teens. And I'm an absolute voracious reader. So I think you're hard pressed to find many people on in your life that are, read more than I do. Because I do a solid five hours a day every day for years and years and years. So when I say I've read thousands upon thousands of books, I'm not exaggerating at all. But these are all topics that I really enjoy reading, you know, so I haven't been forced into anything. Um, I chose my own material. And yes, I study tax law, I study um, finance and money and the mechanics of money. And like I said earlier, Austrian economics, but it's all self taught, you know, so when I give advice, I'm not giving it as like, I don't have a special license. I don't have a special permission slip from the government or anything oh, like no, this. No. And I make it very clear right from the beginning, yeah. you know, I am not health comparable, but this is what has worked in my life. This is what has worked in many, many clients' mm-hmm. lives that I've worked with. Um, plus on my podcast, The Expat Money Show, you know, we've recorded, I think about 70 some odd episodes talking to some of the greatest entrepreneurs and and lawyers and wealth managers and CPAs in the world um, that all revolve around the expat space, which is really where our, where I focus my energy. 
yeah, okay, makes makes good sense. So even without a formal education, you can actually uh, land on your two feet and and make a make a living. Uh, I guess I have this this question about money, which I find found intriguing. Listening uh, because I do I, when I drive, I listen to either podcast or audiobooks. Um, and currently, I am uh, reading the book air quotes again, the Homo Deus from Yuval Noah Harari. Have you read mm-hmm. that book by any chance? I have that one on my shelf, but I haven't read it. But Homo um, Sapiens was phenomenal that was a yep. life-changing book yep. his other one uh, but i haven't had a chance to dig into the second one yet so what did you learn what did you pick well, up it's, in the um, um it's a it's it's the unabridged version that i'm listening to so it, it is massive it is is the biggest book i think to date at this moment from the three that i know that he's um, he has written uh, and at a certain part and i think that makes good sense he said you know money doesn't really exist it is our our, our collective belief uh, on value that we put on on you know paper where with ink on it that we that makes the world work at least you know where what we consider as being money so my question and which i'm for me that makes good sense it is a general belief we generally believe in socialism in capitalism in money in whatever um uh, and money in and by itself doesn't exist it's our collective belief again that makes it makes it what it is is in your experience and your travel and your well your your uh, your self-education how culturally universal is money in this world if that if my question makes any sense okay well if i understand what you're talking about basically money is just a medium of exchange it's a, a medium of exchange a store of value and a unit of account that's that's the definition of a money um we used zimbabwe as an example before with you know inflation when the government started debasing the currency and inflation started going up you know what would buy you a loaf of bread one day would you'd need twice as much the day after yeah. by the end of a year or two you needed a, a wheelbarrow full of money mm-hmm. just to buy a loaf of bread to feed yourself yeah. so you have to be very careful with money because these things th- these paper notes it's it's not really money at all this is it's just a piece of paper by the government money was a traditionally um, going to be redeemed for something of value so usually it was gold and you know, we had up until 1913, we had the Bretton Woods, or sorry, the Federal Reserve got started, and this is kind of the the beginning of the end, you could say, for uh, for gold-backed money. The gold you know, we went all the way up the gold standard. Then we went up all the way till 1971, and Richard Nixon uh, um, abolished the Bretton Woods um, Accord, which basically took all dollars off of. The gold standard. Mm-hmm. So all other countries around the the world uh, started to adopt this same type of perspective, and this all goes back to a Keynesian type of economic perspective of money because they needed to be able to pay for things, usually war and and social programs and things like this. And I think it's really interesting that the rise of things like cryptocurrency, which can't be debased. And when I say debased, it just means turning on the printing press mm-hmm. and producing more money, more money, more money. So I think that culturally they have taken people from a very young age, and I think specifically with government-run schools, and they try to not teach people about money, about the history of money, how money works. They try to dissuade them from learning about things like this because that's not what they want. They culturally, they want people who are going to be busy little worker bees, uh, go into their job, mm-hmm. perform their task, come home, consume, and then sit in front of the TV. They don't want people to save. They don't want people to understand. They don't want people to get ahead. It's 
it doesn't happen by accident, you know, and I think culturally that people need to wake up to things like this. And, and you will see certain countries in the world who have a much better understanding of it. Like if you visit Switzerland, Austria, uh, Luxembourg, things like this, mm -hmm. a lot of these more libertarian type of uh, countries, mm -hmm. they have a better understanding of it. But certainly in North America, no, there's a big disconnect between between money and the way it works and its history. What what advantage would that bring if you would if you would educate people about money? I mean, and and what do they need to know? I mean, it doesn't take away the fact that um, the rent has to be paid and the heating has to be paid, so I still have to uh, go and work or slave away if you want. So what? what okay, so let me give you an example. Yeah. So I live over here in the Middle East, and when I first uh, got here, I went to my bank and I applied for a credit card. Yes. And I sat down with the bank manager, and he says, "Okay." So uh, every month, how much of your credit card would you like to pay off? Yeah. Uh, 10%, 20%, 50%? percent. And I'm I'm looking at him and I'm <laughs> scratching my head and I'm like, uh, 100%? And honestly, he looks at me like I'm crazy. And it's like, okay, if you understand mathematics, if you understand the word, that, the way that compounding interest works, if you mm -hmm. understand money, you'll know that it is mathematically impossible to ever get yourself out of debt if you pay anything except for 100%. If you start paying 10%, if you pay 99%, you will never get yourself out of debt. It's just mathematically impossible. Uh -huh. So things like this happen all the time because people don't understand. So I've seen lots of young people come over here to the Middle East. Yeah. They'll pick up a credit card. Then they'll start charging things up and they'll be paying off 50%. They're thinking they're doing a great job. Yeah. And, you know, on average, and I don't want to get into too much specifics, but on average, a lot of the credit cards here pay, uh, the interest is 3%. And you might go, wow, 3%. That's amazing. No, it is 3% monthly. So, and that is non-compounding. So when you compound that, we're talking roughly 40% annualized that you're paying in interest. Yeah. So if you do not pay off your credit card, you can basically expect that every single thing that you purchase costs you 40% more. Huh. Like that's insane. Like that's people don't know that they don't understand that they haven't been educated. They haven't looked for themselves. They haven't taught themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, their parents don't know. So they don't teach them. The teachers at school, they don't know. So they don't teach them. No. But it's just simple, basic things like this that I think, you know, are really, really important that someone knows. And then, you know, as an expat, what happens? You don't pay your bills. We have debtors jail here. You can't pay your debts. You go to prison and your family has to pay for you. Wow. You know, there's a lot of people I have seen who skip out of the country, take a loan and then run away yeah. because they can't get themselves out of debt. So they figure, you know what, let's just, let's just rinse it. Let's just go for gold. And now they have creditors and bounty hunters and people like chasing them the rest of their lives. And, you know, we have some of the largest airlines in the world. So forget about ever flying on them again. Are you talk about Emirates in this case. Well, Emirates, there's yeah. Etihad, there's Qatar, there's, yeah. um, uh, what's it called? Fly Dubai. Yeah. There's Gulf Air. There's lots of Middle Eastern airlines that really yes. connect the planet. Yeah. So you have to be really careful if you pull a stunt like that, you know, that's... Uh, but it all comes back to the education at the end of the day. 
Yeah, that makes good sense. I mean, that that's right up my alley, I must say. I mean, I'm looking at my, my 14-year-old daughter and uh, seeing her make slave away at homework and learning all these things, you know. And I always say, that, what use is this when you actually are, are making a steak or, you know, when you're when you're peeling potatoes? What use is this in, in later life? Anyway, that's a total different, uh, total different topic. Is is you you say you work for ex- expats? Do you only work for expats in the, from the Middle East, or do you do this worldwide as well? No. So my podcast it goes out worldwide. I have a blog and a daily newsletter. Everything can be found at expatmoneyshow.com. Mm-hmm. But really, I help expats from all over the world. So I have a lot of English, Australian, uh, Dutch, Belgium, Americans, Canadians, um, lots of Western Europeans. Uh, people who come to me who have either lived abroad, want to live abroad, or have just got back home from living abroad. Mm -hmm. And they need a little bit of help with structuring things. So, you know, maybe we'll set them up with an offshore bank account, with an offshore company formation, if they have a lot of assets, Mm -hmm. or if they do run their own business, you know, we can do it in a tax favorable manner so that all the money is run uh, outside of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're American, then there's what's called worldwide taxation, like citizen-based taxation. Mm-hmm. So there are certain strategies. And once again, these are 100% legal. This is in the sure. law. We don't deal with, I don't do anything that is dodgy or, you know, a lot of people hear about the Panama Papers and all these people laundering money. That has nothing to do with no. what I do. You know, we follow the law. I work with um, extremely talented, uh, honest I know this sounds like a um, a conundrum, but a honest lawyers, I swear. Honest lawyers uh, and honest bankers. <laughs> and honest bankers, exactly. No, I, I do work with some really phenomenal people yeah. um, who I know on a personal basis. We go out for dinner and drinks all the time and mm-hmm. really know and understand the expat space. Uh-huh. So I go to them for advice. Um, if there's questions I don't know the answer to, they answer for me. If you know an American or Canadian needs their tax return filed while they're living overseas, I can recommend very, very good CPAs who can, you know, basically an accountant who can do that for you. Because a lot of these rules and laws and procedures, they're just different when you live overseas and you can't go to a normal lawyer or CPA or banker or accountant or anything like that. If they don't understand the expat space, they're going to give you the wrong advice. You need someone who actually, you know, knows these things, studies these things, lives these things. Like I said, I've been overseas for 20 years and I've been doing this type of work. So cool. All right. Makes good sense. Is there any group um, that you work most for? Like, is it most mostly the Americans or, or Chinese? Or, I mean, what is your biggest um, in terms of, of, of uh, groups of people, group of people? Well, it really is the Americans. Um, and that's only because the American taxation system is so convoluted and, and difficult to understand, um, especially because of this worldwide taxation. Uh-huh. Um, and they have things like FACTA, which is the Foreign um, Account Compliance, uh, sorry, Foreign Tax Compliant Act. And the way that they do their banking, it's very different. Okay. Is there is there any, uh, are there particular tips that you give to, say, to one culture and not to another culture? Not because you want to withhold it, but just because it makes more sense to tell the Americans this and the Singaporeans that, for instance? And not really. Like the general ideas are the same. It's just how we go about it. Like a lot of the strategies are the same and they lead from one thing into another. So, you know, If we're setting up an offshore bank account, 
and then we're doing a merchant account for say an entrepreneur yeah. it has to be done in a certain way and then we can form the company in british virgin islands or in the seychelles or something like that a lot of those things don't change but geographically it can mm -hmm. change so it doesn't really matter if you are an american or if you're a singaporean if you're an australian it really has to do with where you have your business. So if you are doing, say, Amazon FBA mm -hmm. and you are making a lot of payments to mainland China because that's where your factories are, mm -hmm. then a lot of times it can be really good to have the company set up in Hong Kong, for mm -hmm. example, or in Singapore, for example, mm -hmm. because they understand the Chinese market and they speak Mandarin in a lot of instances. Okay, Hong Kong is Cantonese, but still there's a lot of Mandarin yeah, speakers yeah. there. Yeah. Um, they have close banking ties with the banks there. Now, for example, if you deal more with a Latin market, perhaps it's a better opportunity to have it in Belize or in um, Turks and Caicos or Panama or one of these other type of Caribbean countries mm -hmm. who have strong asset protection laws and are used to doing business in that type of the, uh, that culture of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It makes good if sense. that makes sense. Yeah, of course. You said in the beginning um, as well, I think this was before recording, that uh, laws change all the time and situations change all the time. Regimes even change all the time. So how do you keep up with, with your knowledge? Well, this definitely goes back to reading, but um, I also have a very <laughs> extensive network. So I spend several hours on the phone. Right. Um, if I'm not uh, interviewing someone, I'll be having private masterminds with people. Uh -huh. You know, I spend a lot of money on coaching and, and attending mastermind events. So, for example, um, I'm in a mastermind event in Chicago all of last year, and it was uh -huh. somewhere around 15,000 US to be a member. So I flew over to Chicago four times a year to meet up with a group of entrepreneurs, and we'd spend three days, two and a half days in a hotel you know, talking about our businesses and how things work. And we all work together to help each other solve problems. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, opportunities like that are really fantastic. I actually had a very good friend of mine, a Dutch guy who mm -hmm. you might know. Do you know Arjan van Erkel? He's an entrepreneur out of Holland. Not by, let me just, I need to think no. about that. No. He's a two-time best-selling author in uh in Holland, and he's a very good friend of mine who uh, who I went there with. Anyways, yeah. um, you know, a, a group of, of entrepreneurs from all over the world uh, who get together to work on their businesses, and that type of cultural exchange has been really interesting as well. So I, I try to be part of those types of things, right. which will help keep me up to date with businesses all over the planet. Yeah, that yeah, makes good sense. Are there any people, uh, any or, or which which people, or which cultures are are the most money smart? Wow. Okay. Well, the obvious is going to be the Swiss, I would say, you know, it seems to be ingrained in their system. Um, you know, so much of their life has to do with uh, the private banking sector, mm -hmm. and there's special rules and laws and things like that. But I'd also say that Singapore is really fantastic. Okay. Um, their programs over in Singapore are really well set up. And Lee Kuan Yew um, did a phenomenal job of building that country up from basically a village to one of the most wealthy countries in the world. Yeah. And, you know, all these types of Chinese cultures, they look at money very, very differently. So like I said earlier, my wife is from China, mm -hmm. from mainland China. Mm -hmm. And the way that her and her parents and her family all view money is so very, very different. Can you give an that, example? Yeah, okay. So for example, 
Okay, so my mother lives here in the Middle East with me. She takes care of my daughter. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting for dinner. This was about two months ago, three months ago. And I was trying to explain, because I'm kind of the bridge between... uh, between the two of them, you know, my mother has lived in Canada her entire life, except for the last two years that she's been here in the Middle East. Uh-huh. And my wife is very Chinese and from Chinese mentality. Yes. And so I explained to my mother, all right, if you don't have something and you really, 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 really want to buy it, what do you do? She said, well, I use my credit card. Yes. Like, okay, excellent. All right. Now I asked my wife, she's like, we don't buy it. You know, but you really, really, really want it. Well, I save up the money and I buy it. Mm. And like something so simple is is so at the core. Yeah. In a lot of Asian countries, and I can't say for all, but definitely the Chinese ones, they are not a debtor nation. They don't have a debtor's yeah. mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, they are credit. They 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 have they're a creditor nation. The the US is a debtor nation. They take loans. You know, they have they're in debt, what, $22 trillion mm-hmm. with $1.5 trillion being added on the national deficit every year. Yeah. Like that's a number that like as human beings, like it, it's really difficult to fathom. Like we don't even understand, like a lot of people don't understand the difference between a million, a hundred million, a billion and a trillion. Like a trillion is just such a large number. Exactly. But China, they don't operate like this. They, they put away... 20%, 40%, you know, me and my wife, we put away 50% of every dollar or Durham in this case, because I live in the Middle East, yeah. every Durham we earn goes into savings and investments and we own properties and bonds and stocks and, you know, cryptocurrency and lots and lots of gold and silver and, and 50% of everything we own goes into to different types of assets. Yeah. And I think that that's a really big cultural division that people need to understand that there are other ways of doing things. You know, you, if you don't have something, you know, don't use debt to go out there and buy it. Like if I go around the United States and I I'm driving through a neighborhood and I see this huge house and two brand new minivans in the driveway, (laughs) I don't think, wow, that person's so rich. I think, oh my God, that person's got to be in so much debt, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Makes good sense. I think it's very related to uh, the thinking of Confucius, the, the the long-term orientation versus the short-term orientation that we in the West tend to have. You know, if, you, if I want something, I want it now. Instant um, gratification, absolutely. Instant gratification, indeed. So we talked about the smart people. Uh, just uh, I'm towards the end of the of, the, of my questioning. Um, so, <laughs> which uh, which are on the other side? Which are the say the less money smart people? I would say, by and large, I find the most problems with the North Americans. Right. I find that Americans their disconnect from money and how money works is. Yeah. Is very very, and, like and you this. you blame that on the spending culture, uh, the debt culture, and also the lack of education when it comes to money. Yeah, but I yeah. blame it really like at at the root cause, which is government run schools. You know, okay. like I'm I'm a big proponent for homeschooling and non schooling, or if you have to send your child to school, some type of private institution. I mm-hmm. think that government run schools are evil. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, read any of the books by John Taylor Gatto. And it'll really open your eyes on what government-run schools are there to accomplish and how they were set up. You know, they're not even a North American uh, idea. These are ideas that came from Prussia, where they wanted uh, 
all their populace to behave in a certain manner. So they they worked very hard to alienate people from the church, from their parents, from the society, from culture, and even from themselves. Mm -hmm. And I encourage everybody, especially if you have young children, to really take a look at what government-run schools are set up to do. Yeah. And, and it's not what they tell you. You know, Learn from someone who really has a deep understanding of it. And there's some really fantastic authors out there, but I would definitely recommend John Taylor Gatto. And unfortunately, he passed away last year. It was um, uh, a real shame, but, um, but his work lives on. And, and uh, I would really, really recommend people understand these types okay. of things. Put a, a link in the show notes to um, to his work as well. And um, my two last questions, one is really easy. Uh, one but last question is, can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent? Well, okay. Um, I think that understanding perspective is probably one of the most important things you can do. So as an example, mm -hmm. once again, bringing things back, to China, you know, I've been to China 30, 40 times. I married a Chinese girl. I speak a good amount of Mandarin. Mm -hmm. We raise our daughter to speak Mandarin. I feel like I have a good understanding of it. Yeah. A lot of people believe that Chinese people are rude. This is this is their belief pattern. Chinese people are rude. Yes. I'm going to tell you right now, Chinese people are not rude. Uh -huh. They have a very different perspective on what is polite and what is rude. What you do to them, the way that, you know, Westerners act in a lot of instances is considered rude to them. Right. Is, there's no clear right or wrong in these types of things. It's really the, the culture that you were brought up in. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing in China is save face. Like you, you give face. Everything is give face. Mm -hmm. So you give face to your boss. You give face to your parents. And, and you can replace the words give face with respect. Yep. You know, so it's how it's appearances. So you, you would never embarrass someone in public or embarrass your spouse in front of their parents mm -hmm. or, you know, say something bad about your boss or things like this. You know, you really have to show respect. But, you know, in Western cultures, a lot of times people gossip. They love to gossip, you know, yeah. and you have to be really careful about things like this. But in, you know, Chinese people, if they butt in line or they push onto a train or they don't hold the door open. You know, Westerners, we see this as extremely rude. Yes. It's, it's, it's not rude. It's just a different way of looking at things. It's how they were brought up. And, and I don't know, you know, what the way around this is, but I guess, you know, spend some time in other countries and cultures and try to think about things from their perspective. And, you know, like I said, I've been to more than 100 countries. I think it's like 102 or 104 countries. Mm -hmm. I've spent... 20 years traveling around. I've flown around the world 250 times. I've lived in seven different countries, you know, Australia, New Zealand, South America, Singapore. I've been in the Middle East for seven years. You know, there really isn't a right and wrong way to do things, especially cultural wise. Mm -hmm. Like this, there's, there's two fundamental laws that all human beings need to know and understand and accept. Mm -hmm. And everything else is man-made. So the two laws are very simple. Mm -hmm. Do all you say you are going to do, which is the basis for contractual law, and do not encroach on other people or their property. It's very simple. You know, don't aggress against other people. Don't hit them. Don't hurt them. Don't rape them. Don't kidnap them. Don't steal from them. But everything else, you know, is up for interpretation. Everything else is political law. And what is illegal in the United States is not illegal here in the UAE. And what's illegal here in the UAE is not illegal yep. in in China. You know, so things are, are, are very different. And it's very easy just to say that one culture 
is rude and, and bad and, and evil, then, you know, that's not the case. You know, like I said at the beginning of the interview, we are all the same. We all want the same things, um, you know, a roof over our head to be loved, get ahead, take care of our family. It's through and through. It's fundamentally the same. And I don't know if that answers your, your three uh, tips or, or tricks or questions, but um, that's really how I believe and, and, I, and I feel very strongly about it. Good. Oh, I can hear that. It's, it's, it's hard to summarize in terms of like this is tip one, tip two, tip three. It's more, it's more philosophical, I guess, than, it's, um, than it is like really, really specific other than, you know, understand perspective, etc. But uh, no, it's, I think it makes, it makes really good sense what you, uh, what you just said. And I fully agree with that as well. So any value judgment about another culture, you know, just, just means that you don't really have a clear perspective of your own culture. Uh, because it is only different, and I I call it cultural differences and not cultural better or cultural worse. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. All right. Last question, then, uh, Mikael, please. How can people get in touch with you if they want to? Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest way is to go to expatmoneyshow.com. And I actually have a brand new infographic report on there. It's called 15 Global Strategies to Protect Your Wealth. It's a free download. Just put in your name and email address. Um, You'll be able to download that. It is really fantastic. I've had a lot of good feedback about it. Um, The other thing I would encourage people to do is check out my brand new book. It's called Expat Secrets. It's available on Amazon. So you can search on Amazon for Expat Secrets or you can go to expatsecretsbook.com and it should uh, redirect you right to Amazon. And um, yeah, it's a number one bestseller right now in in international taxation and uh, immigration and a couple of different categories. And it's had a really good uh, feedback. Excellent. All right. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks for for sharing uh, some of your insights, some of your philosophies as well. And um, I'm pretty sure we'll talk to each other in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again, Mikkel. Really enjoyed this uh, this talk. Typically, uh, towards the end, the real philosophy when it comes to cultural differences. All right. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do, please do so. You can do that in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, and pretty much everywhere else where you can find your podcast. I forgot TuneIn as well. That's there nowadays as well. Um, and if you are there anywhere to leave a review, please do so. All right. Um, the music from this podcast, the background music, is from Bensound. Check it out at bensound.com. My name is Chris Smith. This was the Culture Matters Podcast. And I'll be back in two weeks' time. Last week's episode, that was episode 114, we talked with Isabel Cortez from Colombia and how growing up in Colombia when you're different is actually different. That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution.